0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: Nevertheless, for, for young people, young girls, young guys, you know, find your passion and pursue it.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Coming at you once again from the NCBA convention here in San Antonio, and I am going to be coming to you solo today. Mike is traveling back and forth. I'm not really exactly sure where he's coming, where he's going, but he is traveling. So it'll just be me today on the podcast for this Frye edition. And it is Frye finally here in San Antonio after all. When I got in the other day, it was kind of, we'll call it sleeting, maybe a light type of snow. Nothing that stuck here in San Antonio, but definitely a surprise that it was even snowing, even cold at all. Today it is sunny. It is about 60 degrees down here. Not to brag, because I know a lot of folks across the Midwest in particular are getting some snow today, so that is something to continue to watch. Hopefully everybody stays safe. I'm not sure it's supposed to be a ton of snow, but I know we are seeing that as well. Actually, I was talking to one couple down here at the NCBA convention from New York area, I didn't gather where exactly New York they were from, but they said they were traveling home to about a foot of snow. So hopefully nobody in the Midwest gets a foot, but definitely coming that way definitely come in that direction but it's been a great time down here at the NCBA convention going to bring you a great conversation today that I had with Jennifer Houston the outgoing president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and she's been an awesome leader for the industry has a really interesting backstory so I encourage you all to tune in and listen to that conversation with Jennifer but before we do that we've of course of course got to talk about some news And one piece of news that's actually kind of in the process of being ratified, being sorted out today at the NCBA is dealing with the hashtag Fair Cattle Markets complaints that we've heard from many producers here over the past six months or so after the Tyson Holcomb fire. Part of that, of course, spurred discussions across the industry of course, with the rally that happened in Nebraska earlier this, earlier la, end of last year, I should say. and And caused some disgruntlement by a lot of cattle producers. Well, the NCBA has looked into that and have been putting together some policy that is kind of in the process of being ratified and passed officially today kind of try and catch up with some folks to grab an interview about that to air next week. But the NCBA put together this piece of policy that would basically curb the volatility that we see in the futures market. They said a big part of this, or a lot of producers have said a big part of this, was that we don't know how the packers are negotiating those cash prices. We see really beef producers being price takers and not price makers having to Essentially, take whatever price the packer gives them, and there's really no vault, there's no transparency in knowing how that price is determined. So, NCBA is putting together some policy, and the official name of it is called Transparency in Formula Transactions, which will essentially force the producers, excuse me, force the packers to share that formulation of how they negotiate their cash cattle prices. So we will continue to watch that story, but I think this is kind of a win for the beef industry, for those folks especially that have said we need transparency, we need to understand how the packer is creating these prices, getting to these prices. And so we've seen some clarity added there. But like I said, I'm going to try and have an interview discussing that a little bit more in depth on the podcast coming up next week. In other news, as I mentioned yesterday, China will be cutting tariffs on a long list of U.S. ag commodities, but it doesn't quite sound as good as we originally thought it was going to be. These cuts in tariffs are only going to be about two and a half to five percent in total, and so this is a goodwill gesture, but not as a not big not as big of a goodwill gesture as we originally thought. That perhaps we'd see some of these tariffs being cut in half. It does not appear that that will be the case walnuts for example will still have a 70% tariff on them and will only be cut about 5% so it's always good they said to see a tariff reduction but in the long run it's not going to be quite as a drastic improvement in the current current trade situation as we originally thought but looking at the trade situation interestingly enough the US and Kenya have launched trade negotiations for a much-anticipated trade agreement. You wouldn't think Kenya would be a huge marketplace for the United States, and that really is the case. But President Trump and other U.S. officials have said it's really just a good starting place, because in partnering or hopefully getting a bilateral trade deal enacted with Kenya, will be... At the forefront or the precipice of how to start to trade negotiations with other countries across Africa. And so just for reference, Kenya ranks about 98th in the country, or excuse me, in the world for GDP and trade and whatnot. They trade about a billion dollars with the U.S. as of 2018. But really, like I said, the goal here is... Of course, to enact a free trade deal with Kenya, encourage them to buy more U.S. products, but it's also just to lay the groundwork to ensure that the U.S. is able to compete with China as they continue to move across Africa through the Belt and Road Initiative, paving the way for China to be able to trade more frequently with Africa at some point, but more importantly, Europe. And so the Trump administration is focusing on Africa in an effort, I suppose, to kind of combat some of those expansions in the Chinese footprint happening across that continent. So interesting news there probably won't be a big market mover for agriculture but like I said it's kind of the long game here it sounds like for opening up the Kenyan agricultural market and Kenyan trading market. Switching tracks here just a little bit. We've seen hemp come back to the news wires as of today. We are seeing hemp producers, for those of you that are taking the plunge in 2020 to grow hemp, will be eligible for multi peril crop insurance this year, as well as other crop insurance, such as the Non-Insured Crop Disaster Assistance Program that provides aid to growers who don't have access to that conventional crop insurance. The USDA announced this as part of the 2018 Farm Bill rollout to allow folks that maybe decide to dip their toes in the water to have access to some crop insurance. However, hemp producers still won't be eligible for revenue insurance policies on just hemp alone. So we're seeing that continue to hit the pipeline, continuing to see that being adjusted to allow for the 2020 growing season for hemp production. In other news, I think I've just got really one final piece of news here looking at the wires for today, if you will. Looking at USMCA, we saw a lobbyist for the Canadian beef industry said that the USMCA agreement could clear the country's parliament by the end of March. So it's actually just about, you know, a month and a half away here. They said the bill is... The bill to implement the agreement in Canada is now in the Canadian House, the Canadian House Committee on International Trade, sorry that was a mouthful there, but hoping to see it move quickly through that committee and then hold just one other government hearing before we see the formal parliament vote on it. They've had, it sounds like, since about June to make June to make revisions on the Canadian side of things, so it is expected to move along pretty quickly here, but March is the updated timeline that we are hearing now from Canada to get that agreement sorted out and put into place. Well, as I promised, I think that was my last piece of news for today, so let's take a quick pulse check to see where the markets closed on the day. Starting off here in the March corn contract, we saw it finish out the week on a high note, finishing up four and a half cents to close at 383 and a half. The December closed up four and a quarter to close at 394 even. In the soybean pits, mixed trade on the day as the March contract added a penny to close at 882 even, while the November closed down a penny and a half to close at 918 and a half. In the wheat pits, the March contract closed two and a half cents higher to end at five fifty-eight and three quarters. The December up four cents to close at five seventy-one. Even looking over into the livestock pits for the day, it seems that the beef convention eh, didn't really help the week, and too much stronger. We saw the February cattle contract, live cattle contract I should say, end 20 cents higher to close at 121.32. The February added just 5 cents to close at 119.80. In the feeder cattle pits, we saw weakness on the day with the March contract closing 70 cents lower to end at 135.20, while the April cut 7 cents to end at 137.50. In the lean hog pits, mixed trade as the February contract cut 60 cents to close at 57.10, the April added $1.37 to close at 66.25, rounding out the markets with the dairy class 3 futures. We saw strength to end the week. The February contract added 9 cents to close at 17.06 while the March closed 16 cents higher to end at 17.39. Now as promised I'm very excited to join or to welcome Jennifer Houston on the podcast. I am very excited to be joined by Jennifer Houston, the outgoing NCBA president. It's exciting to have a woman in this high-profile role. Jennifer, thanks for joining. Share a little bit about your background in the cattle industry and how you got
1: into the role of president. Uh, it's It's been a long story. I grew up on a cattle and hog farm in West Tennessee um went to school at the university of tennessee in animal science that's where i met my husband his family ha- owned a livestock market that his dad had founded in the eastern part of the tennessee uh east tennessee livestock center and that's mark knew that's where he was going to go home to so after we were married uh that's where i relocated and after a tragedy uh and our family involved his mom i went into the market full-time um We have two children. One of them is a lobbyist in DC with the American Seed Trade Association. My son's getting his doctorate in biosystems engineering at the University of Tennessee. So uh, we do a lot of stocker cattle. We obviously run the market, have a lot of special sales as well as just a general sale every week and uh, feed a lot of cattle. So we're sort of involved in in all parts of the industry. Right out of college or right when I met his family, Uh, They checked off, this was before the National Beef Checkoff, they checked off $0.10 a head voluntarily and sent it to the National Livestock and Meat Board, and I thought that was really cool, so when the National Beef Checkoff, you know, I worked hard to get that passed in Tennessee in 1986, and we formed a Tennessee Beef Industry Council, and I was asked to serve on that, representing the Tennessee Cattlemen. Uh, so that sort of started my volunteer leadership. So I just stayed involved representing Tennessee, uh, chairing a lot of committees, starting out at the National Livestock and Meat Board many years ago. And then when when the Beef Industry Council of the Meat Board merged with the National Cattlemen's Association to form NCBA in 1993, then I discontinued my service uh, with NCA, been on the executive committee back in about 2000 when the children were small. Uh, and then started up through a few years ago representing region two, which is the Southeast on the executive committee. Um, and I was chair and vice chair of the Federation of state beef councils, and then was asked to be chair of the policy, uh, side of NCBA. And then from that interviewed for vice president, president, elect president. So it's been a, a long process, but a great one. I have a passion for both the checkoff and, and policy. So it's been really great to, uh, to get to see both sides of our organization, to represent both sides.
0: And you've had, it sounds like a very long history of serving, volunteering, and working in the cattle industry, but I think it's also impressive and noteworthy that you were doing it at a time when women didn't take on quite as you know, known roles in the agriculture industry. It's really inspiring as a young woman to see you take on those leadership roles. What advice do you have for other women looking to get into that position?
1: have no fear you know if you want to do something go out and do it don't worry who else is is with you when I first started serving on the meat board you were right there weren't too many people you know the old what the sesame seeds which one of these is not like the other well that was me uh, there certainly wasn't very many females certainly not very many young females at the time but uh, I, I guess partly I grew up in a family of girls and so a lot of people can on a, on a farm for a couple of generations, and so if it had to be done, my daddy and my granddaddy had no other choice but to take the girls to do it. So I think maybe because of that and maybe because of just because I'm pretty much type A, full steam ahead, I never thought there was anything I couldn't do. So I just jumped right in, and I, I said it many a board room that I was the only female there. But I, I never really thought a lot about it. It was just... I felt like I could contribute as much as as anybody else, uh, and because of our my background or whatever, and uh, I think it's it's seen more by other people than I ever think about it. Uh, but nevertheless, for for young people, just young girls, young guys too, you know, find your passion and pursue it, and don't you know, don't let people. They'll always have naysayers that, oh, you know. I had people say you'll you'll never be a, a top officer. That's a that's a good old boys club. That's a feeders. That's a no no. It's you know it's not. If you've if you've got a passion and you know your stuff and and you that's the second thing is you, you gotta you know you gotta pay your dues to a certain extent. And I don't mean that to be discouraging, but by paying your dues, I mean get to know whatever you're in, whether it's the checkoff side, whether it's the policy side. You know, know your state's politics before you get involved in that. Not necessarily before, but as you're getting involved in national, You know, don't try to jump steps. Just, and a lot of people don't want to hear that. I guess we all want immediate gratification. But um, just just be very knowledgeable. And we, you know, gosh, have we ever been in an age that you could get more knowledgeable more quickly with the Internet and podcasts like this? So uh, I think that would be my advice. Know your stuff and then just be fearless. That's
0: great advice. And I think you're right. We live in this world now of immediate gratification. I want things now. But looking at present tense, your past year here, you're heading out as NCBA president. You've had arguably maybe a pretty tumultuous year with trade, labeling issues coming to the forefront with fake meat. How did you handle all of those issues and what was the one issue that really just put a hitch in your giddy up?
1: uh let's talk about the good ones first trade wins and we just kept working and 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 we we in this administration our wonderful staff in dc and volunteer officers and leaders that came way before me because some of these things we've been working on for years and a lot of them with the help of this administration and their i will have to say their commitment to agriculture and certainly commitment to the beef uh industry with the u.s trade representatives office to bring those across the finish line you know that was That was great. We couldn't have scripted any better for the number of of trade agreements from the EU to Japan to China to USMCA, um, regulatory reform. So all those were good things. The hitch and the giddy up obviously will, will be is trying to fight back against the misinformation out there about the sustainability of the beef industry. Uh, we We did that you know with the fat wars back in the eighties when I first was a volunteer that there was a, I call it a tsunami of misinformation and then you feel like you're rowing your little rowboat trying to go against that, but I think we have to, and sustainability has been one of those things it it's all come from a lot of bad facts from years ago and and unfortunately, in this wonderful age, we just talked about of information, it also shares misinformation really quickly so that's probably been the most frustrating thing you know and that goes into labeling and and fake meats and alternative proteins because some of those companies not all of them but some of them are using those misinformation the wrong facts to disparage our product or to unfavorably compare us to them so that's where labeling comes in Uh, we're not afraid of competition when you've got a product as good as ours uh, nutrition wise what a nutrition packed you know, 170 calories, three ounces, ten essential vitamins and minerals, zinc, iron, protein. You can tell I've said that a few, few times, but it is. That's a power pack package that not much can match. So we know we went on that. If if consumers know the difference and take time, know the difference. But sustainability facts, the facts that our cattle graze and use land that's not useful in many cases. We can't grow peas. We can't grow soybeans. It's too arid or it's too rocky or it's too steep. And the fact that when we keep our land in grass, that's, that's an environmental plus. You know, that's renewing the soil. That's sequestering uh, carbon. And if we didn't have cattle on there, what would we have? We probably wouldn't have a nice, lovely park or forest. You'd probably have concrete or houses or whatever. So we know we're stewards of the land. We're there every day. And I don't know a farmer or rancher that doesn't want to leave his land better for that next generation than he found it, just illustrated by that wonderful environmental stewardship award program we had last night that showcased seven families across the nation and and what they do to 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 enrich their land and and make it because uh, wildlife you know, when, when it's good for cattle it's typically good for wildlife, you know deer and elk and all these depending on what part of the country you're in. but if if you're if your farm or ranch is set up to be good for your cattle then you're going to have waterfowl you're going to have clean streams you're going to have fish you're going to have all that type of thing and so those are the stories we need to get out to consumers i think they'd resonate if we can just break past that barrier of what's out there that's against us and one of the other
0: issues that I wanted to make sure and ask about was the Tyson fire that happened in Kansas. You spent some time in D.C. testifying in front of the House. USDA has now said that they're going to address that issue. What's really going to be done about that?
1: Well, we haven't heard the results uh, of this study. We, we were one of the first groups that said, let's investigate this. Let's make sure. We just listened to cattle facts this morning saying it was the market at work. Uh, you had a disruption Uh, It was right before Labor Day, so there was a scramble to—that's one of the top grilling holidays of the world. So meat buyers were struggling to get that, and not knowing what's going to be that uh, fallout from that fire. Uh, Live cattle prices dropped for a while. They've now recovered. Uh, The plant's back on working, so CattleFact says the market worked. It was a tough time for a while, and a lot of us that were feeding cattle got hurt, you know, in the short term. And that's unfortunate, but um, that was just one of those things that, I, you know, we'll see what USDA says, but uh, I think it's it's good to know that the market works. And after things hammered out, and and we really did a good job of picking up the slack, and I say we, the industry, uh, picking up the slack from what weren't being killed at that Tyson plant. So that we didn't have a backup of hundreds of thousands of cattle and which would have depressed the market even more. So, uh, it was a tough time, no question. Uh, I think it really also hit people super hard because we already had a bad year. We had floods, we had fires, we had incredible snowstorms. So you take, you know, if you were one of the people hit by that already, then this was like a double whammy. Uh, it was, it was a tough year for a lot of people. We've talked about. And I'll talk about that in my board meeting tomorrow. That a lot of people want 2019 in the rearview mirror, but we gotta we gotta balance it with a lot of good things that we will see bring fruition and bring good times for long term when we talk about the trade deals, the deregulation.
0: That set me up really nicely then for my final question. Looking in 2020 and beyond, obviously you're stepping out as his role, but you've helped lay some important groundwork for 2020 and beyond. What's trade deals aside, is there anything else that you're just really fired up about for the beef industry? Well, I think,
1: you know, one of my passions I'll continue work on is, uh, is the sustainability story, uh, getting the true facts out. And I hope I'm able to have that opportunity because we've got to figure out a strategy to get it past uh, what I call our circle of agriculture. We don't need to sing to the choir. Yes, we do need to educate the choir. And I think we're doing a good job of that in agriculture. But you know we've got to be in the new york times we've got to be in the washington post we've got to be in the chicago tribune and magazines and all these type of things and college campuses telling people what the truth is to give them uh... they love our product we know they do but they shouldn't feel guilty and they don't have any reason to feel guilty so that's probably my passion to take into the next few years personally and, and ncba is also going to be tackling this as an organization uh, but I think we got such a great story. Uh, we, we'll do it. We'll get it out there.
0: Well, it's going to be an interesting couple of years here for agriculture, hopefully in a positive way. Jennifer Houston, thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Well, again, a big thank you there to Jennifer. Really interesting stuff. Great to see she's been a strong proponent for agriculture but also for women involvement women's involvement in agriculture very inspiring to see that but that wraps it up for this week's edition of the friday episode of the ag news daily podcast but you can always interact with us on social media facebook twitter and instagram at ag news daily if you're missing us over the weekend hope everybody stays warm avoids the snow and we'll see you all back here on monday